Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We start with fire. Crews have made significant progress on the state's largest wildfire, which is burning north of Lake Tahoe. The Beckworth Complex fire has burned nearly 93,000 acres, but it's now 66% contained. Fire officials anticipate full containment by the end of the month. Several homes have burned in the fire, although an exact number is unknown at this time. Officials have lifted most evacuation orders for areas endangered by the blaze. Meanwhile, the river fire burning in Mariposa County, south of Yosemite National Park, has burned 9,500 acres and is 21% contained. At least five structures have been destroyed in that fire, although crews will need to get better containment before fully assessing the damage. And staying with fires, the 2008 campfire was the deadliest wildfire in California's history. But a new report from the state's Air Resources Board shows it may have been more dangerous to people downwind than previously known. Cap Radio's Ed Fletcher explains. The campfire killed 85 people as it consumed 19,000 structures and destroyed the entire town of Paradise. And the thick black plumes of smoke that emitted from the fire traveled far, carrying with it tiny particles that put more people's lives in danger. A new air study reveals just how dangerous. We found not just elevated levels of fine particulate in the air that people were breathing over the course of two and a half weeks, but more importantly, we found in our data elevated levels of lead and also zinc. That was Michael Benjamin, one of the report's authors. He says wildfires that mainly consumed vegetation don't emit as many metal particles. But when examining smoke from the campfire, because of the buildings and vehicles it destroyed, they found a huge spike in those contaminants. We've known for decades that lead is an issue. It causes neurological impacts on people, especially young children. Benjamin says the level of toxicity may not cause immediate impacts to downwind residents. But officials are considering what else can and should be done to prevent exposure to toxic wildfire smoke. That could include updating air quality warnings when buildings are engulfed. For the California Report, I'm Ed Fletcher in Sacramento. For the fifth straight day, Los Angeles County health officials have reported more than 1,000 new daily COVID-19 cases. And the number of people who have been hospitalized because of the virus is also on the rise. Dr. Christina Galley, director of the county's health services department, presented this week's hospitalization information at yesterday's LA Board of Supervisors meeting. We have not had a patient admitted to a DHS hospital who has been fully vaccinated with either the J&J, Pfizer, or Moderna vaccine. Every single patient that we've admitted for COVID has been not yet fully vaccinated. 
All told, 398 people are in county hospitals due to the coronavirus, with nearly 100 of those patients in intensive care units. Although these numbers have risen sharply in the last few weeks, they're still far short of the more than 8,000 who were hospitalized during the winter surge. The recent spike in COVID cases has been blamed primarily on the highly contagious Delta variant, and it's not only impacting Southern California. Over the past week, Sacramento County had the highest number of cases per capita in the state in counties with at least 100,000 residents. Dr. Olivia Kassiri, public health officer for Sacramento County, spoke at yesterday's Board of Supervisors meeting about efforts to go door to door to get more people vaccinated. It is that kind of level of outreach that needs to be done in order for us to be able to get, especially to the underserved communities. The infection rate in Sacramento County is more than double the state average. Despite the rise in cases, the COVID-19 death rate in both Los Angeles and Sacramento counties has stayed relatively low, though health officials warn that it usually takes at least two weeks after spiking cases to see an increase in deaths. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Let's turn to the environment. You know the state is in the grip of a big drought, but California has yet to require statewide water restrictions similar to those mandated during the last multi-year drought. KQED climate reporter Ezra David Romero explains. 85% of California is experiencing extreme drought conditions. The last time statewide drought restrictions went into place was 2015, and it was the third drought year. Californians are using 16% less water, and that's why the state is only asking for a 15% voluntary water reduction, says Carla Nemeth, director of the California Department of Water Resources. By the end of this year, if we're preparing for another extraordinarily dry year, then we could see California move towards mandatory water reduction. Even though reservoir levels and dry conditions are dangerously low in some areas, on par with a three- or four-year drought, Nemeth says regional restrictions allow for a targeted approach to reduce water waste. From a climate perspective, I would take the 15% seriously. Noah Diffenbaugh is a climate scientist at Stanford. We don't have drought relief on the horizon. We can expect these conditions to intensify before there is relief. My fervent hope is that we see some 
an early onset to the rainy season this year. UCLA climate scientist Daniel Swain says that's hypothetically possible. Maybe the rains will arrive in September or October this year. That would sure be nice. But Swain says that would be contrary to the trend. California is having shorter rainy seasons, more concentrated in the winter. Even with all that California is facing, think heat waves, wildfire risk, and lack of rain. UC Davis water resources expert Jay Lunn says requiring areas that don't need to conserve as much right now, like Los Angeles and San Francisco would, make them less receptive to being told later on when you really need them to conserve a lot of water to do so. But for many people who live in places like the San Joaquin Valley, where wells are going dry, the light water restrictions feels like a gut punch, says Veronica Garibay, co-executive director with the Leadership Council for Justice and Accountability. It's 109 degrees in Fresno today. Imagine having to work outside all day and come home and not being able to shower in your own home. I think it's infuriating and disappointing and sort of feels hopeless. Like, have we not learned our lesson here? Getty Bay's group advocates for communities through the Central Valley and the Coachella Valley, where the drought is making existing inequities worse. Why is the burden on communities and people of color in particular who have the least access to safe water and, and are disproportionately impacted by dry wells and, and access to safe drinking water to begin with, why is it on our backs and on our community's backs to have to always raise the alarm on these issues? With the most vulnerable in mind, Faith Kern says it's time to start thinking of drought as a chronic issue as opposed to an acute idea where we will be saved by rain each year. She's a scientist for the California Institute of Water Resources. I think the set of actions we might take start to look a little bit different, and I don't totally know what those are yet. Maybe those, those voluntary water re reductions are permanent. Whether the current reductions become part of our permanent California way of life is still to be determined. But everyone I spoke with recognizes climate change is stressing the way we currently live. They say solutions for future dry times may mean reinventing the way water is managed beyond just what's needed to get the state through this current drought year. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. Julie Sue, California's Labor Secretary, has been officially confirmed as Deputy Secretary of the U.S. Department of Labor. Yesterday's confirmation by a 50 to 47 vote in the Senate came after five months of contentious deliberation. Sue has been sharply criticized for the state's handling of unemployment claims by the Employment Development Department. Just before she was nominated, Sue and the EDD announced the state was reviewing up to $31 billion in suspension unemployment claims, and she confirmed the state had already been built out of around $11 billion. Republican lawmakers focused on these losses during Sue's review process, and not one Republican senator voted for her confirmation. In a congratulatory statement, Governor Newsom said Sue had fought for workers' rights in California for nearly three decades. Few other consumer products in recent American history have gone from being a celebrated to cursed as quickly as the Juul electronic cigarette. When it was unveiled in 2015, the Juul device was sold as a safe and hip alternative to smoking, and sales boomed. 
Then came health concerns about e-cigarettes and accusations that Juul was marketing its product to children with kid-friendly flavors. Investigations were launched and lawsuits filed against the company, which are ongoing. What's less known to many about Juul is its deep connections to California's tech scene. In her new book, The Devil's Playbook, investigative journalist Lauren Etter explores Juul's Silicon Valley roots. That was what was so interesting about Juul and learning about this company. They were born in Stanford and they came up with this idea that we're going to innovate this product that hadn't been innovated on in over a century with the cigarette, which is essentially rolled burned, shredded tobacco, rolled in paper, lit on fire. So when Juul came around, they brought to this industry an entirely new ethos, which was the Silicon Valley ethos. And what is the mantra of Silicon Valley? It's to move fast and to break things and to innovate. And it depends on getting venture capital and growing your company as fast as possible, which is exactly what Juul did. They considered themselves a tech company and they saw an opportunity to A, grow a company. There's a billion smokers in the world, 34 million adult smokers in the United States today. It's a huge market. And so the cigarette seemed like a great innovation opportunity. But really, at the end of the day, Lauren, the founders of Juul, Adam Bowen and James Monsies, who are these two graduate students at Stanford, they were just trying to create another kind of nicotine delivery device, right? But using technology instead of tobacco to service people's addiction. That's exactly right. So Adam and James realized that the reason people smoke is for the nicotine. They are addicted to nicotine. So why can't we come up with a way to deliver the nicotine to people who want it or or are addicted to it in a way that's not deadly, or at least that's less deadly, less harmful? So they kind of separated out the combustion from the cigarette and thought we can deliver this nicotine vapor. This is a way to deliver 34 million adult smokers a less deadly form of nicotine. And in fact, in the public, certain public health circles, they call it clean nicotine versus the dirty nicotine, which is a cigarette. Juul now faces a blizzard of lawsuits. Its reputation has been damaged among countless Americans. San Francisco, the city where the company was once headquartered, has banned the sale of e-cigarettes. And this all seems like such a Silicon Valley story, right? A company starts off with lots of buzz and over-the-top promises. It's all rainbows and roses for a while. But then all that shrivels up. Absolutely. And this is a perfect example of the Silicon Valley model, basically just another example of it imploding on itself and basically leaving the American public to kind of clean up the mess, to figure out how to make things right again. And all the while, the executives have made huge amounts of money. They became billionaires. So it is absolutely in the Silicon Valley mold. Sadly, it's not surprising. And it will be interesting to see how the mess gets cleaned up. All right. That is Lauren Etter, author of The Devil's Playbook, Big Tobacco, Jewel, and the Addiction of a New Generation. Lauren, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, July 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a good day. 
Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. The law firm Perkins Cooey, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at perkinscoie.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.